A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory. If you aren't caught up with us this week, that would be through chapter 12 of The Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson. I know that I messed it up last week. I know that I just messed it up in the recording right before this and PJ went, what book? Like a little pigeon in the background trying to make sure that I didn't mess it up. there this is cross and i'm a pigeon <laughs> and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking you should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club i'm not actually a pigeon i don't know why i said that that was a lie i feel badly about that my name is pj but i think you know that already i uh pj I know that you aren't drinking because you have to wake up very early in the morning and commute That's true. to your new, your, I, it's not really commuting to your new job, but commuting to another, a secondary location <laughs> that is many hours away. <laughs> it is commuting to a new job. It just won't be a consistent daily commute. You're right. <laughs> I prefer to call it a secondary location. <laughs> yep. Yep. So we didn't take our precursory uh, Devil's Cut shot because you're not drinking ultimately on this episode, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I'm taking mine now, so good day. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. Mezcal. Cool. Ooh. With that, today... Did you have something to say? Motherfucker? No. Okay. Today is our second episode discussing... The Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about chapters 5 through chapters 12. But before we do that, let's talk about what we're drinking. I got some water. (laughs) You got some water? I did make myself a cocktail and then thought better of it and gave it to Kalen. So Kalen is drinking... Oh, I didn't think of a good name for it when I decided I wasn't going to drink it. But it is kind of a margarita take on a margarita it is two ounces of mezcal one ounce of hibiscus liqueur or no three quarters of an ounce of hibiscus liqueur one ounce of rosemary simple syrup and the juice of one lime all shaken and served with a lime wedge without talking to each other we made a remarkably similar cocktail Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I made, what would you call it? Did you try it? I assume you took a sip. Like you're I didn't gonna... even take a sip of it, no. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm I have no idea how it tastes. Wow. I, I mean, good for you. Are you only drinking straight plain water? You're not having any fun like LaCroix Pure or anything? Ooh. I have. I have one. One sec. That's what I thought. You need to have something cool. Come on. Them's the rules. I have a LaCroix Guava Sao Paulo. Ooh, fun. Looks like that. It does. For for everyone listening to the show, it looks like that. <laughs> it is pink for everyone with watching the show. No red you and green accents. Fair enough. Fair enough. You can Google <laughs> LaCroix LaCroix Sao Paulo. PJ, I am having a bow and arrow tonight. You're and... a bow and arrow. I, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bow and arrow is, is kind of like a, it's kind of like a spin on a sour, basically. One ounce bourbon, one ounce Macau, uh, Macau, 
I literally just took the shot no more than, you know, a minute ago. Okay. So one ounce of bourbon, one ounce of mezcal, three quarter ounces of lime, and then half ounce of cane sugar shaken. Very good. A little bit of ground nutmeg on top. Fantastic. Nice. It's great. Hits all those notes. So like I said, we're we're similar. We both went to mezcal, which is interesting. Yeah. Without without any consultation. Oh, I forgot. There's also a uh, an ounce of pineapple juice in this. Nice. I was going to say it looks remarkably mm-hmm. yellow for. Yes, 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 yes. I totally forgot the pineapple juice. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Pretty good. You following uh, not following that up with anything or. Well, the plan was, as we had discussed earlier in the day. <laughs> <laughs> to do a, a drink and a shot because we knew that we had a ton to get through and we didn't want to go off the rails in any direction accidentally. So, no, I do have tea per usual and water, of course, to follow that up. But no, I have no back half beverage that is of any consequence. All right. Cool. All right. Very nice. So, with that, before we talk about the chapters, PJ, how'd you feel about this week's reading? Where'd you land? I think this is really hitting... Hitting a stride. Obviously, it's the second quarter of this book where you'd expect it to. I'm, I'm still not used to like tackling this much of a book all at once, you know. Mm-hmm. But it felt snappy. It felt important and relevant, and got a whole lot of information. And I guess that's just kind of what should be expected of the second quarter of an entire fucking book. yeah i mean i I, we talked a little bit about this in our devil's cut but just to bring it to people's attention i normally don't think i would pace the book quite this quickly i think i would probably split this week and next week into like the end of this week and the beginning of next week into its own episode and then the end two episode, the end like half and full episode, I'd split in half basically and do that there. I think that this book needs five episodes in theory. However, we were hard pressed to meet this deadline that we have to get these all out by the time the Lost Metal rolls around so that we can start that in a timely fashion to kind of keep up and to do something fun and unique. And I don't know that it's something, I don't know that it was a high that we will ever chase again (laughs) because this has been, this in particular feels much more high pressure. Like we cannot mess up or miss anything and, you know, or one week off and everything else. So very excited, but I do agree with you. I feel like I, you know, in normal circumstances, we would have taken an extra week. Yeah. 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 I think we should have. But yeah. Hindsight 2020, huh? Correct. Correct. We are here now. So, with that, without further ado, let's get into this breakdown here. We start with Chapter 5. Chapter 5, Wax is stirred by what he sees at the train station after he examines his package that he got from Renette at the end of last week with the cords in it and the gun. After managing to get Steris's nose out of her book, she explains that Ellendale is set up as an economic powerhouse from its very foundation, taxing what feels to the people both ways, as well as being a hub that has a stranglehold on trade. This is a really interesting setup and kind of question to be asking inside of this book, and we'll definitely talk about this through over the course of the chapter, but what was your initial reaction to kind of bringing economics into the whole thing? I mean, if you know me, you know I'm a real big taxes and tariffs guy. Just super, super into that. So I was very happy to learn that Ellendale has such a stranglehold on the surrounding region. 
and effectively holds them hostage for all of their goods and services. That was very cool for me. But in general, this was super, super intricate and well thought out and well described and is a different aspect of the world that we hadn't really seen a whole lot, even in the first series. So getting it all fleshed out like that was satisfying for me to read, I think. But fuck taxes and tariffs. (laughs) I, I, I think that this book does a really good job of making that compelling without just feeding it to us, if that makes sense. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think one of the interesting components of this series to date so far as we've read it is that it kind of makes the function of Ellendell and the Industrial Revolution a villain in the story. It is in in its own backdrop, it is consistently and persistently a problem, right? Like the the engine of the city was kind of the thing in Shadows of Self that was a really big deal. Like the the city itself being corrupt and needing and people feeling the need to unionize, but then being dispersed by our hero Wax even. Now, given there's some pretenses under those riots that are, you know, they're being forced by Palm and some other people that are involved there. But I mean, the undercurrent's there and it's very real. And then this just emphasizes mm-hmm. it and gives it a reason to stretch outside of the city and make it kind of a bigger region problem. Yeah, the the industrialization is simultaneously a villain, like you're describing, but also not being pushed far enough, according to Harmony. Like, he's mm-hmm. not, he, he's coddled them too much so that they haven't expanded their, their understanding of technology enough, in his opinion. So, like, that's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. And I, I guess I think that that actually plays into it a little bit because they haven't moved as quickly. What they've done predominantly is just garner continuous wealth, right? Which I think is part of the problem. And like, as such, Ellendale has taxed the ever-living shit out of the outlying regions without showing progress that might be incumbent upon doing that. Basically, we're just going to continue to make money, you know, ad nauseum. And we're not going to see any changes in society besides whose pocketbooks are being padded. Mo money. Mo money. And so then you could kind of, if you think about it, you can kind of look at the set and be like, huh, okay, I can see where you're coming from too. And it gives it, it does give it a little bit more intrigue than I think the primary plot does a good job of exposing. Like this, this is all like undercurrents to everything and all of the under the underlying societal issues, but it's, it hasn't come to the forefront yet necessarily. Right. So, but it is clearly becoming a problem. Cool. Yeah. There's this really interesting note here that Steris has been voting by proxy for Wax. And I, I thought that this was interesting because Wax just keeps himself very distant from house politics in general and at large, but it wanders away from the house politics and towards compliments from Wax to Steris. And it's a heartwarming little moment between the two. The, the sort of moment in the exchange of, but I am dull and the nonsense line in particular, are wonderful examples and something that we see kind of repeat throughout this week is that there's a lot of affirmation kind of both ways inside their relationship, even though they're both also self-deprecating. Yeah, their relationship really evolves this section starting off at this point that, that note that you mentioned the her calling herself dull and him refuting that idea. Going back to the voting voting by proxy thing, I remembered that he was like, obviously he's the head of the house 
Mm-hmm. And there's some some societal power that comes with that. I had forgotten or hadn't realized, I guess, that there was actually a like voting position that he sits in, like that he that he holds as mm-hmm. this head of household. I thought it was less explicit that the heads of households were still running this city. I thought it was more kind of undercurred, like more, more understated than that. No, it's, it's very directly kind of stated. Although I, I think that again, this is something that isn't made as big of a deal. It's more of an undercurrent thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where I think that it would make for a very great overcurrent because I think you can very directly now, considering the fact that we're talking about like the outer regions feeling, you know, suppressed by the city and whatnot and feeling like they're they have no other option to like ship things between each other you can very clearly see the sort of seeds of i don't don't want to call it like you can see the similarities that accidentally sprung up between the two societies and the way that they divided up power one being you know an elected official but the houses still rule i mean it's you know they didn't really get rid of the the generational wealth problem or anything like that. It seemed everyone who was important ended up being important again. Yeah, they didn't fucking touch it. They just added their names to the list. I mean, which is really yeah. All those revolutionaries yeah. would be really sad if they saw that was the result of their action. <laughs> they'd be really upset. Yeah, they'd be really angry. They'd, yeah, they'd be pretty pissed. Except for maybe set. You know, he'd he'd probably be okay with it. Yeah, I I wouldn't call him necessarily revolutionary to begin with. So. No, I was just gonna make that comment. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> he's he's just there. But I, I love the little note here that comes shortly thereafter on the books and accounting. I'm shocked it's taken Brandon this long to work an accountant character into his stories, as he always talks fondly about his mom as an accountant, and that he talks often, you know, talking about some extra textual stuff, as he, unlike most writers has a background in accounting as opposed to a lot of different creative functionalities or like parents who are creatives or things like that. And because his mom was an accountant, he thinks of himself as a writer and a business person. And so this is the first time that it feels like that's really collided in big part in these books. And, you know, I don't want to say it's not compelling because it is, but it's also he he somehow manages to make it not boring while still adding some intrigue and interest to what's effectively numbers and counting beans math math <laughs> math and that's not to say that like you can't have that in a story right like we've we've talked about before we, we were obsessed with the sort of the way that economics would be handled in the red rising universe post rebellion you know and we we <laughs> thought it long and hard about the sort of misborn boxing system and how much money that actually was worth in the beginning versus how much money they're burning an ATM. You know, there we had lots of different like small equations that are, are fun and interesting, but never accounting or bookkeeping specifically, like never something so mundane, but would definitely be happening inside the world. Well, there's an entire color in the red rising series, like dedicated to it. That's fair. Um, so we get it. We just don't get the perspective that we do here. It, it exists, yeah, but it's yeah. perspective is different than, you know, something being yeah. accounted for. Yeah. Which is silly when we're talking about accountants. I think it makes total sense to to be included here, though. This matches very well Steris's character and also them sharing this conversation 
and these sort of pouring over of the uh, of the books it, it further finds their relationship between wax and steris that we've been seeing since well last question i guess uh but throughout this entire section this this is another point in that sort of building of relationship it feels fresh it, it feels different for some reason like it feels like they're building a relationship here as opposed to acting like they're in one i think that that's a great way to put it is it does feel like they're building a relationship and that they're actually trying to make it work if that makes sense versus before there was never even an attempt more than a passing a passing glance because of the contract i mean there were some things right there were some moments and there were some things that led us to feel like okay we can we can dance with this a little bit but we're not fully bought into you know the whole thing so i do want to at the very least mention since we're talking about the books and the scene and everything else is that the book that steris is reading in this moment that she's so absorbed in that she can't break away from is a book about anatomy and sex. And it's it's a very interesting breakdown from Brandon. And she kind of explains her nervousness about sex, even to the point of having gone out of her way to interview some prostitutes of whom felt protective of her because she was a lady of the house. And like kind of, I can imagine how that scene would go down with Steris and some women being like, can somebody tell me? And they'd be like, they'd kind of just like giggle, you know? You can totally understand exactly all of those conversations and her awkwardness approaching them. Didn't she but, say they like kind of shied away and and like went away from her after they learned who she was? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of I think that that's an extra layer of like prudishness that they don't prudishness is the wrong word. There's an extra layer of distance that's applied then to to what's going on between mm-hmm. them or their conversations. So yeah, because I, I felt like that conversation with the prostitutes came out as something not protective, but more another level of frustration for her because she well, didn't get what she was seeking. Ultimately, it, it definitely was frustration for her, but I believe they literally say that they were like protecting her from it. OK, that's that's more my point is like they felt after they found out who she was that they couldn't do that like they shouldn't do that like that wasn't their place to do was the context gotcha. in which I had seen it if that makes sense okay yeah yeah without without going back and like directly reading it I can buy into that yeah because it, it was it was very much like they didn't want to interact with her anymore and that was definitely frustrating with her so yeah but all this conversation circles around the arrangement on the whole and her duty to have a child and this leads to a very kind of honest conversation between these two you know we've obviously been talking about the relationship but what do you make of the sort of the intimate connotation of their relationship it's it's strangely cute okay and i know that's a weird way to describe it but i think it's it's they're confined right now they're on this train they're confined with each other and they are just kind of making the relationship work. And it's a lot of like weird cuteness in, in unexpected places. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe it beyond that. Just this, it's the, the coy looking at the book that she's reading and she's like avoiding it. it it's a little, I don't want to say immature, 
because I don't think that's the right term for it, but naive, I guess, when it comes to the actual like sexual nature of the relationship. And Wax doesn't really do much to change those feelings. Like, there's no resolution there, but somehow it, it still feels okay. Yeah, it's not exactly addressed. It, instead, they kind of just skate by it for the most part. Um, outside mm-hmm. of the fact that he he does say that like you're not that's not all you are right and then and then brings up the contract and it's kind of again we're, like we're saying it's kind of loosely skated around without being directly confront without confronting that very directly and that's where he gets into the you know the metaphor about the cord and the ball and kind of the new renette thing and shows off the hooks for plot reasons later <laughs> but <laughs> This is the most that literal Chekhov's gun I've ever seen in fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was also useful Sorry, in the description. Two Chekhov's guns that are the most useful I've ever seen yeah. in fiction. I feel like the the point that he's making mm-hmm. of like the, the tension on the string and everything. Yeah. It would have been stronger if we had seen the use of the item first. And then we like get it as an example of like a metaphor for human nature. So you're right; it is very Chekhov's gun e. But I mean, it's, at yeah, least so... it, it at least it had a function. You know, it was yeah. something. Well, and I, Chekhov's gun, for the record, isn't a bad thing necessarily. What I mean is that Brandon had to show how the balls worked somewhere, and this had yeah. to be the scene that he set it up. You know, because he didn't happen beforehand. So it couldn't mm-hmm. be used as a metaphor later. He's doing like the inverse of what you're thinking he should do, which is very funny to me. <laughs> right. Very much so. so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All in all, that's that's how you felt about it. A little bit corny. A little bit. Yeah. Little bit. There, there, There's the the there's the comment that he makes about there, it, it was actually like kind of profound, but also kind of corny. When she like talks to talks about him being a lawman and him saying that like he's there to break boundaries or th- that human nature is to break boundaries instead of like maintain them and like tying that to the contract, all that, but corny, but still well said. Yeah, that makes so, sense. some cross section of all those things. I have to put this out there, but headcanon Brandon writing this part first draft. Sometimes you're just trying to get an idea on the page. It doesn't need to make sense in the context. A character might not even say something that way. You use like a metaphor. I imagine Brandon is writing this and can't think of anything at the moment. And so he writes like tangled headphones in your pocket. And when you pull them out, they're really confusing. And so you need this widget that does the thing for you. So then you don't have tangled headphones in your pocket. And I just I could not get it out of my head when I was thinking about the cords specifically. And why are they called cords? Like it, I, what? Yeah. I mean, you know, so like braided, uh, like nylon. Cause it's not wire, right? I think it's not, me- still, the, the, it's no, not yeah, metal but, itself. Correct. Correct. But even then you could refer to it as rope, like nylon rope is a thing. Yeah. But cording like cord is different than rope and exists true true i'm not i'm not but i'm not i'm not saying that you're wrong i'm just trying to like find a rationalization i do i do what i I was just just curious because i'm always curious on definitions from time to time the definition of a cord is literally rope 
um, no, which is okay. very funny. Well, there's egg on my face. <laughs> there's an important clarification, though, that is a flexible rope. So not one, not one of them stiff ropes. <laughs> not one of them <laughs> stiff ropes. I'm totally cool with it. I just definitely imagined head cannon. Brandon first draft. Couldn't think of the metaphor at the time. Wrote down like tangled headphone wires. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I believe it. Yeah. All right, so we get to the end of this chapter with Wax willingly and dutifully burying his nose deep into a boring accounting book. I say boring, of course, for him, but you know, it's it comes up later. It's fun, kind of. All glory to math. <laughs> Did you do any too drunk to do math this weekend? No, no, we didn't drink to forget math. All right, I just unfortunately had just had to check. <laughs> Cool. Mm-hmm. With that, let's get into chapter six here. We open this chapter with Marisy and begin to explore both some of the interviews with Relor, as well as the texts left behind by the Lord Mistborn. These are two very different bits here, but I wanted to pull at your thoughts on both of them. What do you think Relor could be referring to as this beast? How do you feel about Spook's seemingly light turn towards darkness, even if it's practical in a way that he experimented with hemolurgy. I'll, I'll address the spook one first. Every leader that we've had in these stories so far has had some turn towards what we would perceive as darkness. And it's always for the betterment of humanity or the planet as a whole at the expense of the immediacy and the expense of the, the people immediately surrounding him. So it, it is strange but maybe telling at the inevitability of that that spook isn't an exception here but the means are a little bit different like comparing him to the lord ruler to ellen i guess those are the three main ones where we really get kelsier i guess a little bit kelsier yeah kelsier actually did right at the nearer to the end he turned Mm -hmm. at the in the last moment but yeah as far as this beast this, I mean, it's kind of ominous and scary, and I don't know what to think of it. Hmm. My thoughts are, I, I think it's even mentioned, like, related to the creatures that Wax ran into before and that we talked about last book or last last episode. But The hemorrhagic constructs? That's what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those were in last book. Was that last book? Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I, I think I think that there's definitely something there. I mean, the beast definitely seems curious and it's it's given a lot of attention in Relour's eyes and mind. And then on top of that, you have you know, that that's kind of a bigger question that's just kind of out there that we don't really have an answer to. I think we can interrogate the leftover from the Lord Mistborn and Spook a little bit more here. Yeah. It feels it's interesting to me as well that the metal like he like we're saying, the darker turn, right, is that he is spook. He is spooking. He's spiking these people at the end of their lives to take their hemo- their abilities with hemolurgy, which voluntarily, like this, none of this is necessarily, you know, they they have to offer it up, but ultimately, kind of explaining it to them, you know, that's that's very very specifically, like how do you how do you feel about that interaction? Like I it's, definitely understand uh... the practicality of what you're what you're seeking in the answer, but. Yeah, the specifics, that's pretty fucked. Just trying to wrestle with the ethics of that. And that's where that's where that sort of intention comes in. 
in that like it's intended to betterment like to to usher in betterment for for the rest of society by creating defenders with with better abilities but that could very easily go wrong too like you're still dealing with sentient mortal people that could potentially have changes of mind and suddenly you have a super killer that's no longer like i it can all go wrong and it's really playing with fire but just the the actual ethics of spiking and killing people at end of life it's it's i mean not a new idea like not a not a new concept when it comes to like human experimentation and it doesn't make it okay <laughs> like yeah right. it's still really fucky but at least there's consent there so that's a saving grace yeah i i think that's a great point that is in my head the saving grace of this at the very least is that we can say hey you know it's not like spook was doing it against people's will you know it doesn't completely taint him but it definitely adds a a veneer and it adds a question about you know the path that spook was on Mm -hmm. post era one right so all right moving on from that so mercy is pulled from her interrogative and investigative mindset into a distraction caused again by wayne of course the king of distractions and i find this conversation that they have very fascinating wayne is obviously out and borrowing people's accents while conversing with them but it's what follows that really gets me marisi's non-reaction to his statements really drive this sort of solemnity out of wayne and i think pulls him down to earth in a big way for all of his bluster But it's also a moment for Marisi where she's seeking some separation from what has come before. And in this case, that is the baggage of Waxillium Ladrian. She wants to make her own name and have her own identity and notoriety. I guess, like, what do you make of this whole kind of moment that happens between the two of them here in the train car, in the dining car? I felt like... I felt like there was a big shift in general for the entire vibe of the story and these two characters kind of the way they live on the page a little bit. There's there's a, a bit of a screeching to a halt sort of feeling to this whole thing. Wayne kind of has a reality check to a certain degree. Like he he's he's been very comical and almost cartoonish with his interactions up until now and seeing it just kind of get punched in the dick and, and seeing his face fall brings his entire character back to the ground a little bit for me. And uh, Marisi at the same time is frustrated and just gains a lot of depth here. I don't know how to describe it beyond that. I mean, I think gaining a lot of depth kind of is a good way of summing up all of that happens, right? Like she kind of declares her intent here, right? Which is that she wants to be known on her own. And you can kind of see her start to break away, not only from like Wayne's shenanigans and like put him put him on the ground right where he belongs. But at the same time, she also is in her own head. I think finally taking the axe to wax in her brain and being able to be like, okay, this was supposed to be my mission. I could have totally done this and I can prove myself and I'm more than capable. And it it sets her up to be her own kind of investigator, which I think is is great. So that she can actually break off into her own. Yep. Yeah. Putting the shovel to the grindstone, as it were. That is definitely <laughs> what it is. <laughs> the shovel to the recently upturned dirt dirt, like any good mm-hmm. investigator does, digs graves. <laughs> 
So yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that scene and, and kind of the moment. Screeching to a halt is a great way to put it. Like it's truly on a train that's rolling forward. We have the brakes pulled in a fast way. And it's it's great to see Wayne's character kind of grounded in a significant sense. I also have a question for you here. Wayne is always charging wax for things. He's charging things to the room, given the fact that he's kind of this obscenely wealthy houselord. And while I don't see anything immediately bad in this, I don't think there's any ill will. I think it's been played off previously as, you know, well, it's his house and he let me stay here so I can take things. It's it's in moments like these where I just have to, like, ask or I, I, I think about that honor code that Wayne has for trading things. What do you think he's trading wax all the time for the shit that he buys on his dime? I have a couple options here. Okay. One is his time. I don't know if he's actually sure. being paid. Like, is he on Wax's payroll? Or is this like his payment? That's that's a an option. The other is that Wayne genuinely doesn't recognize the concept of credit as value. So therefore he's trading nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I like answer one. I think that's where I kind of go with it, too, is it, it feels very unclear that he's being paid for any of the work that he's doing or anything like that. So he could he could genuinely be on his payroll. But even if even if he is, it's probably not enough in his own eyes versus the amount of work that he does. And at the same time, in in Wax's eyes, he's probably accounting for all of the different expenses as a part of Wayne's payroll, in addition to whatever his base pay is like incidences, you know, that are incurred on the company credit card, basically. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the way that I picture it. So I think I agree with you on option one. I do find option two very funny, though, that he just doesn't (laughs) understand credit. (laughs) Which I I, I kind of holds true if you think about it. And it could be that he understands it, but just doesn't believe in it. Acknowledge, yes. Fair point. point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with that. I'm with that. I, I just, for whatever reason, it struck me this time when he orders a whole bottle of whiskey on a train, which I can't imagine is cheap. No, probably not. <laughs> no, not at all. He's he's really picky about what he's drinking here, too. He doesn't want the bubbly that they had at the table behind them when he was talking with the drunk couple that was right there in the dining car. Instead, gets whiskey. So I'm drinking for the whiskey drink. Cheers. But you sad, sad bastard. All right. So Marcy gets up after Wayne departs, noting the Pathian earring and note that was left for wax just in case moves back towards the family cart. Wax has just successfully found the lost clips from the chapter before and tosses him the earring and other notes as well. She heads off the bed when suddenly the car seems to be under assault. She screams and our chapter ends. Mm-hmm. Is there any description of the handwriting for that note? Is that I'm mentioned? pretty sure that they don't describe the handwriting, but I'm pretty sure that it is not directly mentioned, but at least obliquely mentioned that it's Vendel who gave it to her. But okay, gotcha. Yeah. I, it's not it's not direct, but I'm pretty sure it says from the Chandra or something like that. So yeah, that makes sense. I but did also, find it. Well, I, I was I was going to posit that it's potential. It, it was potentially like a direct act of intervention by Harmony himself, but. Who knows? Is it not if the Chandra gives it like the Chandra are ultimately under Harmony's control. So like it is kind of a direct intervention in its own right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's not like Harmony's showing up, I guess, in like spirit body and like handing off an an earring, Mm -hmm. I guess. But it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a substantial abuse of power. Substantial. For sure. Keep that shit in line, Harmony. 
yeah, who's the <laughs> who's the arbiter of who gets to use their powers in what way as a god? Harmony himself. He's so, got those those dueling perspectives that he talks about. But he's got what if? Okay, he put training wheels on himself and he can't take them off because he threw away his tools or something. I don't know. <laughs> he put training wheels on himself, and oh man. This joke was dead before I picked it up. It was. <laughs> to quote I Wayne do, later. <laughs> <laughs> I do find this change, this this scene with Steris getting genuinely upset at Wax finding an error to be unexpected because it's not lighthearted. She seems genuinely like frustrated by, by this and distressed by it because i guess it was unplanned i guess it was not wax's like stated strengths to find errors and she had like she she takes pride in her adeptness here and didn't catch that one so we see a little bit of perfection yeah i totally agree with you i think it's that pride and perfection i don't i don't know I don't know that she's so upset that Wax found it so much as the fact that she didn't, you know, and that she missed that, it. Yeah. That could be probably a better way to put it. Yeah. But I, I totally agree with you on, on the concept, right? It's like, it, it is definitely, to her, it's a very big deal in the moment. Right. <clears throat> so, with that, we go into chapter seven here. This scene is just wild, man. I mean, chapter seven and eight are predominantly, it's an action scene split between the two chapters but wax notes immediately that they're being robbed by men on horseback which he finds odd they decouple the rich train car from the rest of them meaning this private train car that they're on forcing wax to use his powers to increase his weight and shove this train car forward in an attempt to keep up it's a wonderful scene as he plants as he then like plants himself on the back of the car and continues to shove it forward almost like reverse spider-man you know from spider-man 2 and then latches it successfully back up with the train itself so it literally makes me imagine like a gif the spider-man gif of him like pulling the train but running backwards um, <laughs> that's entirely what's going on in my head in this moment yeah this is this is a weird scenario for me but go with me here Okay. This is a very clever use of his twin born like abilities and how they interact with one another. But is that cleverness earned because Brandon is writing this scenario for those abilities, you know? That and, is like, such that yeah. that is an argument that makes all of the storytelling break down anyway. So I have mm-hmm. to like take myself out of that train of thought. And just say, this is a really cool use of these abilities and how they can interact with one another. So in in the way that I imagine Brandon approaching some of these different things, he didn't start with like this idea of pushing a train car, right? But he thought of a scenario in which he's like, oh, this would be a cool use of these abilities and then set it up to make it happen. You know what I mean? Which right. I think is still good storytelling because it's approachable, right? And because we enjoy it and because it's well told and because it's exciting to us, right? But at the same time, the scene almost doesn't create enough distance from this is cool to like this is urgent until much later. You know what I mean? Like this doesn't this doesn't feel like an emergency in a strange way or this doesn't feel like enough of a freak out in some ways. You have a little bit later in this in the document that like this was the first time in a while 
that it felt probably, I mean, since maybe Alloy of Law even, that it really felt like Wax was in trouble. And I definitely agree with that. And I think even at this point in this, I didn't feel like Wax was in trouble. Like, I didn't feel like any, Mm-mm. technically speaking, they would have been fine to wait you know, in the middle of nowhere, basically on this car or to like slowly push it because they didn't need to take care of the train and the robbery. I mean, their moral sense of duty made them. But, you know, it didn't it doesn't quite have the emergency urgency that the Spider-Man scene has where he has to save them. I also hate that I said emergency. (laughs) (laughs) You saw me. You saw me light up at that one. I flinched at it, too. But I, I, I don't. I'm using the Spider-Man 2 scene because that's what happens in my head, but it doesn't have that sort of immediacy that that scene has. Right. And that threat. And I think that's what some of the this this series lacks at times. Not always, but at times. And when it does, oftentimes it puts one of our two female characters at risk more often than our male characters ever feel in danger. Yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty accurate, huh? Yeah, a little bit. What's the name of that trope again? <laughs> like the princess trope? Like the, the, the damsel in distress? Damsel in distress, yes. <laughs> that said, I mean, like, Marisy's earning, you know, like, Brian's yeah. addressing it well, but it it does, especially that first book, does have a little bit of that. And Definitely. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just my thing here is, like, I agree with you in the concept of, like, I had the same thought this time around reading it. Like, is this a necessarily cool scene? Like, is it, does... Did Brandon insert it to be like, look how smart I am at using the system of math that I built? Or did the character feel like it needed to do this? And I think that the character feels right in this moment. I feel like some of that works out. But I'm not going to say it didn't scratch at the back of my brain. And I've had a lot. This is one of those conundrums where I'm like, this is right on that razor edge for me. (laughs) A or B. Right. Yeah. Plot contrivance driving character action. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. I think that's what we're getting at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it is very cool, especially the increasing weight and then throwing it all forward. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So all signs, according to wax point to this, not being a random train robbery, a lack of masks, the choice of horses, every individual piece of it just feels off to him. He continues down the train, tracking these fools and pushing them off the train. Variously. It's very funny because he refuses to shoot them a couple of times and then instead throws them off of a moving train which okay okay buddy all right <laughs> gravity killed them <laughs> that's some batman vibes right there it's it's some serious that's, batman <laughs> vibes it's some serious some... college humor batman vibes <laughs> <laughs> with pete holmes just throwing batarangs into people's faces and saying that they're sleeping <laughs> definitely has the same energy to me <laughs> yeah yeah Uh, but i do love the way that brandon gives his texture to the steel bubble here in a really interesting way and intangible with it rattling the doorknobs as he walks past down the train with an active because of course it would spin and it would push on other things we we get some of these tweaks in other places but i just really liked the image of rattling doorknobs as he's passing and you can visualize that so clearly in like a tv sequence or a movie sequence um Mm -hmm. really great but he's out of steel shockingly a little bit after this. And Steris has some for him. But instead, whiskey, it's suspended in fish oil. It's <laughs> <laughs> so fucking gross. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> hey, at least we don't have to drink for this one. 
<laughs> I think we do have to drink for this one. I'm a solidarity fucker. <laughs> I'm drinking for it with a meta solidarity. Okay. Fair. Because he wishes it was whiskey? Yes. Yes. Because he wishes that it was suspended in whiskey. Mm-hmm. I'll give it to him. And I have some whiskey in here, so that works out. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Any anything else on the the sort of walk down the train and the stairs being prepared? I figured this is um, all action stuff, right? So this yeah, is it is. It, it, yeah. it is very much just kind of moving the scene into the next place it has to be with some really cool visuals and intriguing things, I guess. You, you mentioned the doorknobs. And yeah, you're, you're right. You could totally see that being a subtle indication in like a TV adapt- adaptation that his steel bubbles on without explicitly like saying it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah. what's so clever about it is it would be, you know, I, I feel like one of the tough things to convey about Mistborn without dropping into the first person POV perspective is going to be something like the steel push and pull lines, right? The iron pull lines and the steel push lines that go out to metals and back. You know, you can do that. You can make that shot look real once or twice without it being too matrixy as they spiral out of you. And so coming up with some real ways of demonstrating that is much more interesting. Yeah, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if some of the steel bubble stuff worked its way back into era one. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like it would need to. Mm -hmm. I I totally see that happening pretty easily. Maybe not at the beginning, but maybe as to show some savantism and stuff like that to show growth. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, Wax makes his way over a number of the bodies lining the train car on the way to where he assumes the thieves are while confronting an injured guard a big man can we talk about like how that almost read like what's the type of poetry that has all of those up downs oh my god why can't i'm not sure sonnet it's a sonnet that almost read like a sonnet wax makes his way over a number of bodies lining the train car on the way to where he assumes the thieves are while confronting an injured guard like that Hmm. has but especially near the end, that all has like sonnet pacing. That's fucked up. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a big man approaches from the back of the train, accompanied by a smaller man with a cane. Oh my god, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is literally an accident. I wrote this this afternoon. Uh, he gets up to surprise the brute with a small metal cube, but lands near him and his steel vanishes. That's a little bit of a bummer, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> the point in context being, this is just such an interesting moment, right? And the, that vanishing, that sucking away, this is something very new. What What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it. it is wildly different than any other metal ability we've seen so far though i'm i'm racking my brain for something like this from the previous era that happened and then didn't get resolved or something i can't remember it feels like an aluminum grenade is kind of how i i think it's being used effectively later on we get mention of it with its runic carvings and its intricacies that makes me think it's an entirely different metal art in general one maybe from a different world maybe from different god i don't know well the cube itself or the metal art i guess is where i'm trying to draw the line because we kind of know from the back of the ars arcanum that leechers exist right 
and we even get some speculation on this a little bit later, I think in like chapter nine or so, saying that it wasn't a leecher, that it came from the cube, right? So aluminum well, yeah, grenade, the, we'll stick with that for, you know, that purpose. But I'm talking about the effect from the from the cube. Got yeah. it, got it, got it. The cube is what feels hot. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep, exactly. That makes sense. I'm, I'm in on that. I just wanted to clarify on the other side of things with the fact that leechers do exist. So. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a really interesting moment where you're just like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And they're using other things like gas throughout the car to like gas, you know, and to give themselves escape and smoke and coughing and masks and everything else um, a little bit later. So it's just shocking when this cube rolls out because you're expecting, you know, something like a grenade and it's not. It's instead. But it is. Yeah. Instead, it's something else, an alimantic grenade of sorts. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. We move to Marisi working her magic with her rifle in the back of the car, and she's learned from the last time she had to fire so close to her face, coming fully prepared this time with earplugs. It's a small but great note here that I just really appreciated, you know, the fact that, like, people are talking around her and she can't hear them, not because she shot too close to her ears this time, but because she's wearing earplugs. Good work. Wear earplugs, kids. <laughs> yep. And her whole part of this chapter is littered with moments that show her growth. Her line, like, statistics, statistics say shut up is just wonderful. She skates past the wounded and dead between cars, sending for Steris to potentially bring bandages. Of course, her half-sister is gone, wandering further up the car. But I, I just love Marisi's growth in this action scene in this moment. Yeah, I mean, this growth matches and builds upon the growth that we've talked about all book. Does this reach back into the previous book, or is it mostly this book where we've talked about it? I, I mean, can't she recall. Was- she was definitely beginning to break away, right? Like she was willing to bend the rules a little bit before. So it does set her on an arc, right? It's not as though it's just happened in this book, but she was already starting to register some of these changes in the book before. Right. Yeah. It's fulfilling to see her character continue that. And I I think it, it feels grounded. It feels real. I like where she's at. Okay. Maybe a little heavy-handed with the statistics say shut up thing. But, you know, that's what we come to expect from Brandon kind of sharing growth through inner monologue. It's a little heavy-handed sometimes. But that's okay. I, I mean, this is it, it's it's a symptom of era 2, right? Era 2 feels almost like if you think about era 1 as a, an urban epicish fantasy, it works. This is like it is an ode to some degree to Westerns, and it also owns that in times with its dialogue, right? In in moments where you have the dialogue popping up in these contexts, it it gives you, again, I have to reference it, but like, I cannot get Wild Wild West out of my head thinking about this because there are so many similarly like cheesy lines that are fun. And it's like, this is a fun line because she's constantly repeated it, but it gives it a little bit of character weight by her saying, shut up. It just should have been, it, sh- it probably should have been something a little bit more substantial than shut up, but shut up fits for the character. So that's, that's fine. Yep. Yeah. She would always jump in with statistics say, and you know, this, this lends a little bit of that, that change. So, mm-hmm. 
So we go back to Wax, of whom is being thrown around again by a steel push and brutalized by this large gentleman, of whom we don't know the name of, but the seven-foot-tall man. While he fights back, he's unable to do much against the man being out of his medals. The man is enjoying this fight, having robbed Wax of his gun belts, when he pulls out Renette's new experimental shotgun. He attempts to shoot Wax, but it knocks him on his axe. Ass meant for someone much physically heavier than even he is. He manages to wrest away the gun belt and metal vial. The two continue to engage when a gun points out having been lifted. And I love the way that it just kind of like pokes out too. like Brandon describes as like a very like weird, not the right person doing this. Of course, it's Steris and she's holding the plot gun. I mean, the shotgun. And she shoots the brute, clipping him in the arm and sending herself careening off of the side of the train. The imagery for this is so cartoonish and ridiculous, but I have to admit I love it. Like, it's it's fun. funny. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It. I, I certainly laughed the first time that I read it. And you alluded to it earlier. This is the point where I think that this is kind of the first time we see Wax in trouble. And we actually feel a sense of, like, uh-oh. A sense of danger for our boy. And uh, it's nice to see sort of the pause in the action here as... Something goes wrong, but he's able to get out of the fight itself. I don't know. I feel like it's well-paced and well-timed. Comedic and stakes are high. I don't know. A lot going on. That that is definitely, you know, we've brought up the the Chuck Palahniuk strippers and comedians. I'm not going to run over that another time for anyone who hasn't heard any of our previous episodes where I've talked about it for a little bit too long. But this does feel like a stripper comedian moment where it's like you built that tension perfectly we feel that stress in the scene you can kind of see in the background the the solution coming out and it's the wrong person with the wrong weapon and it's very funny i love that you laughed out loud because i definitely did too the second time because i was like man i don't remember how he gets out of this and and then it and then it happened and i was like oh yeah (laughs) this this whole exchange but you do feel a lot of that tension and i do love that here because as mentioned, it feels like we haven't been too in fear for our characters in a while. Mm-hmm. For our boy, as it were. Yep. And he gets, he gets, not only does he get the shit kicked out of him, but he can't kick the shit out of this guy. Like, he punches him and hurts his own hand. Like, he's yeah. not prepared. Yeah, there there's definitely something going on with this guy too there's the comments later on about him being coloss blooded but his skin tone doesn't match what he should he's a steel pusher as well there's there's some weirdness i don't think it's necessarily suggesting that this guy is coloss blooded because this is not necessarily donnie right yeah right 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 but there is something else it seems to him yeah it seems like he can steel push can he do something else does he have another you know does he have a different, does he have a metal mind? Pewter, maybe? Pewter, yeah. I mean, that would make, that would certainly make sense considering what we know about pewter burners. Does that mm-hmm. make him, does that mean that he's a twin born with two alimantic capabilities? Or a mistborn. Or he's got a hemorrhagic spike. Or there's something entirely different that <clears throat> we can't know about yet. Or, yeah, we have to speculate about a science system that we don't know things about. Because. <laughs> Of the way that that works, because it's not predictable, because it could literally be anything all the time. Okay, moving on. Chapter eight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Did you have something? No, it, I mean, it's just wild speculations. Like, if yeah. that cube can simultaneously, yeah, I guess simultaneously steal powers, drain metals, but also give them to someone else. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like he's Which fighting his own steel. We've been talking about investiture and identity quite a bit, so that could make some sense. Mm-hmm. You know, where does that power go? Cool. All right. With that, we get into chapter eight here. Ceres is falling towards the river. Wax follows, of course, diving after her. He downs the vial. It takes a second, and the power surges in him again. He shoots down, pushing off the tracks above, slamming into Steris and grabbing her, and pushing on Renette's plot gun into the river below, leaving them hanging just above the water. He dives under with Alamancy to grab it, replacing it with one of the spheres, and then launches them back up to the train itself. The new grappling hook with these trivers works well to do precisely what he had wished it would do in the previous book. And that's that's kind of cool. Like there's there's some cool payoff here. You got to love when a plan comes together. Yeah, right. (laughs) I was going to say there's a really great deal of description and sort of science and mechanics that go into this section that I really appreciate. One of which is relying on the viscosity of the water to push against something that's sinking. And how that is effective. Like you, you can absolutely tell that there was quite a bit of collaboration with scientists and done in this section to see how things would actually work. Yeah. And it gives, it gives a sense of depth and realism to like how exactly this would happen. It is funny, of course, that it is literally the shotgun that has caused all of these problems throughout this entire train sequence basically and so that's why i refer to it as the plot gun because it does literally feel (laughs) like it is responsible for so much of what's happening in these moments that it does to to the same degree that we were talking about the way that you know these books were written kind of out of order this feels like one of those things where sanderson had this idea here went back wrote the other book because he had this idea for the alimentic balls that have the trigger inside to work his grappling hooks and he's like, well, I'll just give him a basic grappling hook in the first book and then we'll figure it out. You know, he'll get to the <laughs> other one. Kind of an interesting thing, a unique thing when you start with book two instead of book one. Yep. That numbering system I'm still going to disagree with, but. Well, yep. I mean, okay. <laughs> when you start with, when you write book one and then you write book three and then you write book two and then book four. <laughs> I mean, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah, that's even more fucky. Yeah, it's super messed up. <laughs> hey, I'm writing four, four books, and I wrote the first one, and then I wrote the third one, and then I wrote the second one, and then I ended it. All right. So it's great, too, that Sarah's here is really excited about Wax and joining him in this moment, being saved and everything else. They make their way back to the train, landing and quickly catching up with the conductor, saying the bandits are still on board, installing something. It keeps some tension in this scene, in this moment, despite them having saved themselves. Yeah, I I appreciated the previous contemplation by Wax about the conductor specifically. It gets paid off pretty quickly, but he's wondering if the conductor is incapacitated or in on it or is just trying to find the nearest city, which is ultimately what like we land on. But just the why is the train not stopping kind of idea. I'll admit, even through this interaction with the conductor, I didn't I didn't trust I didn't trust him. I don't know okay. why. I don't know. I was I was skeptical given that we were faced with that contemplation. Yeah. I I think that that makes sense too. I think that the story is kind of trying to point you in that direction to give you a little bit of that skepticism to be like, "Well, where did they come from?" Right? Like how did they 
mm-hmm. you know, obviously they were riding up on horseback and it was kind of unanticipated. And later we get a little bit of speculation where it's like, well, they weren't even they didn't obviously didn't know you were there. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have done this to begin with, potentially. And there's some there's some wishy washiness there, which I think is a good setup to ask kind of the question of, you know, who's in on it, who's not. But speaking of who's who's in on it and who's not, the slender man of whom threw the cube, we move over to Marisi, of whom confronts that same guy with a cane that Wax had seen earlier. But of course, she doesn't know that it's this man and that cube with the bizarre symbols on it is right there. After a brief and kind of ominous conversation, he scuttles away and she shoulders her rifle, chasing after Wax and her stupid sister. What'd you make of this this actual first verbal confrontation with this man? This is some creepy shit, man. <laughs> this is some okay. creepy fucking shit. And like I said, based on the description, we get these sort of runic symbols on this cube. And we know of another magic system that uses runes don't we from elantris mm-hmm. we also know that one of the uh, one of the prominent figures in elantris is named sereni and we know that we're going to a city called new Saren, and it's all fucking connected you're doing full <laughs> charlie day at the moment <laughs> full pepe sylvia you know i don't know what to make of this but that guy creeps me out you know, I, I think that that's an interesting point, though, about the runes themselves, right? It, it does beg a question of, you know, especially considering this is a connected universe, you do immediately point to those other things being like, well, could it be that? Could it be this? Could it be that? That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. We go from there back to Wax, and he's back fighting this brute of a man and manages to launch them off of the train. Some of the other men start leaping off the train into the water while Marisi engages her speed bubble to prevent those she's caught from leaving. This is kind of a clever turn of everything, kind of a clever use of capabilities. What'd you think? Yeah, it's a bewildering moment, to be sure, of watching them just huck some of their friends off the train, like just yeeting them over the edge. into the water it's even wild. the cane man yeah yeah even the cane man <laughs> what the hell mm-hmm. good on marisi coming in clutch with that speed bubble this also confirms for me that just being merely in proximity to that cube doesn't drain you of abilities there's some sort of activation that has to happen because she is close to it and uh, still has her metal reserves. Mm-hmm. Right. She walks right next to it. So that does give us a little bit of information about that cube. Mm-hmm. As though maybe we don't the charge know is extended if, or something. Yeah. Was like Duralumin, where if it's if you're burning a metal, it all burns up really quickly. Mm, interesting. Powerfully. Was wax burning his steel when it all went away? Yeah, because he was rattling the doorknobs, right? Right. Yep. And yep. then like came around the corner and he was getting ready to go when the cube landed next to him because he was preparing for the brute to be there. Yep. However, the brute does push eventually. The question is, is we didn't really see did the brute maybe down a vial or something like that in the interim. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's emitting some sort of mist like essence of metal that can be burned. In proximity? I don't know. I, I'm yeah. bouncing ideas off the wall. I have no idea. Sure. I mean, that makes sense to me. It can work. 
Cool. So we're back in chapter nine then. The opening of this chapter, I think, is really brilliant. It, it starts with just such a great line. It's better than some of the first lines in most of the chapters in most of his books, but it's just such a punchy one. Wax had never shot a doctor before, but he did like trying out new experiences. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. This is wild. Like, that is that is such a perfectly off the wall line, especially for Wax and knowing Wax as a character. Like this, you could have. This could be the intro to Wax's like geriatric life, right? Like he's in. He's literally been hospitalized. He's seventy five years old or sixty five. I don't know how people old live in this time frame. And you know he's going to shoot a doctor. I just I adored it. I don't know. It just it hit me. Anyway, getting to the core of it, we're introduced to the constable of Iron Stand quickly, who introduces us to the villains of the last couple of chapters, the Night Street Gang, of whom has grown more bold in recent history, especially as they attempt to steal a house's payroll house, Ekril, I think, or Ekril or something like that. He also gives us a name to look out for. Donnie and that he's co-lost blooded he uses a term to address him kig yeah I want to say or something like that something something like that 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 term I mean or just in general of like using it in general I I don't know would you would you think I mean I guess it would make sense to to have another term co-lost blooded is a little bit not only a mouthful but also kind of clinical and kind of weird to describe someone so having a a more generalized term for it makes sense to me it doesn't seem to be being you it doesn't seem like it's being used derogatorily in the moment I kind of felt like it was did you yeah i kind of got the context that it was not that not that that's crazy like or anything like that i'm not i'm not saying that this is anything to bend over backwards for but it did to me feel it felt like the term thug talking about pewter burners. Evilist rusting kick. You know, that's a fair point. He's he's putting he's putting adjectives in front of it as opposed to describing kick as something bad. It's a good point. Right. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a single instance. It's hard to really know. Yeah. That's a fair um, point. We, we really don't have more than that. Yeah, but there are a fair number of differences between the what the Night Street gang and what we've experienced here. As mentioned previously, Donnie, the the Coloss versus the big fucking dude we were fighting before. Probably not the same guys and Mm -hmm. just a lot of really weird differences. And the premonitions that Wax has about these guys robbing the train and something being off like there, there's just a lot not quite adding up. Yeah, don't know if this is like intentional misdirection by this guy or if it's just a, a, an educated guess on what's happening based on what's been going on in the area. It's hard to know. I feel like educated guess is a decent summation. Like, I, I feel like that's reasonable. I, I think that he has evidence that these people are that gang, but maybe there's something different about them in addition to that. Or maybe they're flagging themselves as that gang, you know? You know, yeah, I mean, or anything like that. earlier in this era, we got situations where it was a gang kind of co-opted by another mm-hmm. entity. Right. Sort of hard right. to hard to parse the motives when it's two people acting in conjunction or two groups mm-hmm. acting in, in conjunction. It's kind of muddling, muddying the waters there. What's interesting to bring that up, you know, if this is the sets gang, 
that means that they're trying the same thing in multiple facets. And you can imagine that they're probably doing that across Ellendell and the Ellendell Basin at large. Like they're this is not unique. Right. That they're funding this underground crime ring. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's still searching the remnants and wreckage for Wayne and Milan when he stumbles upon some moving alimantic lines. Finally, he's been kind of looking this entire time throughout a lot of this section. He enters the room and find Milan and Wayne there mid post, potentially not at all coitus. You know, there's there's like here's here's the context. Wax or sorry, not wax. Wayne and Milan are getting it on in some way, shape or form. I think that's an interesting thing to talk about, and we should definitely have that conversation. But I do want to talk about what I think is more directly kind of pointed at in this scene, which is Maris's interrogation of them after the fact. So whichever way you want to handle those, pick a direction. We'll go one yeah. and then we'll go with the other. Yeah. So talking about Marisy, I I don't know exactly what to make of her hostility in this moment. I don't think it's necessarily her developing like a modicum of feelings towards Wayne. And this is like jealousy acting out. I don't think that's it, but I could see it going that direction. But more so what I'm thinking is she feels like she should have a sense of control over what's going on around her. And this is something completely out of her control. Very obviously she's dedicating her time to finding them and they're fucking in the bathroom or whatever you want to call it so there's there's frustration it's a luggage cart (laughs) i know i know i know just i guess there's a lot of stress in the situation at large and she is not able to control this factor and that's frustrating i don't know i don't know what to make of it i don't think it's i don't think it's feelings based but I could see it kind of pointing that way. I yeah, I guess I think I think I'm with you for the most part here, right? Like I, I agree with you that it is I mean, at its very core it is some feeling, but I do not think that it's a romantic one. I think it's almost one of like, Well, why didn't you tell me that you were interested? Or like why didn't you share that with me? Because we're so especially with Wayne, Wade is so like almost brutally honest and open to a degree. You talk about characters or people that are open books. Wayne is kind of an open book in every facet. If you ask Mm -hmm. him or like if he has anything on his mind, he cannot help but say it out loud, which is a problem for him in a ton of different circumstances. So (laughs) that's true. He's like the definition of a lack of decorum. And so the fact that he's even attracted to Milan or that he's going on this kind of bend there isn't a problem i don't think for her necessarily outside of maybe the lack of honesty there could be a little bit of jealousy there i can definitely see that but i don't i don't know that it's jealousy so much potentially this is this is a bit of a stretch and you can you can push back on this i don't know if it's jealousy so much about the fact that it's wayne being with someone else or it's the fact that maybe she isn't with someone else as well or that she doesn't have someone else because yeah she had that desire towards wax that, that's pushing it a little bit but that's pushing it, but I think that's more reasonable mm-hmm. than a direct feeling. Yeah. Sort of situational jealousy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way of putting it. I definitely okay. agree with that. I can buy it. All right. So let's talk about what they were actually doing. I'm a believer as it relates to 
a little bit of the context that we get later when they talk about what they're doing, that they are snogging, as they say multiple times. Snogging is a British word for like kissy, touchy, feely stuff, but basically not intercourse. So where'd you land on it? That feels like a cop out backpedal answer. And like using post conversations to overwrite what we clearly see is happening. Like, I think they're fucking. Okay. I don't know. That's where I landed on it. And I th- I think the snogging comments are there to give an air of plausible deniability in Brandon's own mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, like, this is where some of the times there's, like, that line between, like, what's headcanon, what's actual canon. And the reality is, is that headcanon often just wins out because it's like that's the whole point of reading is like what you imagine. Right. Or like what you take away from something. It's that whole death of the author thing. Right. Where you can as long as you extract from the art, what you extract from listening to it without the context from the author or otherwise. And you know what? I can totally see it. I totally saw it the first time. It wasn't until this read through that I picked up on the fact that they are definitely I don't know if they're downplaying it so much as like you said, Brand's trying to explain it away. But it, they also could be downplaying it. I don't know. I, I think that both of those characters are too honest and lack the ability to be embarrassed, really, though, that, you know, outside of egregious circumstances. But is this like an egregious circumstance? Like Wayne gets embarrassed every once in a while. But I don't know. Yeah, that, but that's they're my... not necessarily lying when they say it was a good snogging session. Like it, that can lead into more. Yes. Here's an added thing that I just thought about, right? And it's thrown me through a different window. Wayne can use speed bubbles. How long were they going at it? The other thing is there's a fair amount of movement that Wayne notices. Wax. Or wax that wax notices through the metal lines. I don't know. Signs point to fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Needless to say, it's up for debate. <laughs> just giving you shit. Yeah, I just, you know, can I give can I give Brandon credit for like leaving something so ambiguous? I don't know. I don't know. At the very least, like this I don't is- think so. Though here's the thing: he could have left it without mentioning, like talking about it from both characters' points of view, and it'd st- it'd be more ambiguous now, like that way. But. It felt like he had a moral need to say that they weren't having sex. Like it, it felt overly, overly readdressed after the fact that I don't think was necessary. Oh, I agree that I don't think it was necessary. I think it would have been actually better to leave it ominous as opposed to even address it in the first place and like make you ask mm-hmm. the question. Having like one off mention of snogging versus three. Three is like also no, using no, no. the term snogging. No, guys, they totally they totally weren't. They totally, yeah, yeah. They are pure in God's eyes. Yet, yeah. I mean, Milan's really old. You know, you want to you want to think about that for a second. Like Milan is really really old, and uh, Harmony is that she's- actively involved in this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> 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 this conversation also. <laughs> she's also wearing the body of a 16 year old oh fuck that's 
gross. I didn't catch that part. That's assuming, I guess, that's assuming that it's the same body, but when they go into the hotel, I, I'm not, I don't assume that she changes between A and B, but she does ultimately, like, fill things out, and I don't know, whatever, that's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Hmm. She's a very ancient being. I don't, I, how do you, how does one evaluate that? I don't know. I would have never approached that with a 10 foot pole if I were branded, but the putting, putting the age on the bones that she was wearing in that moment in this scene. Yeah. It's weird. Not the bones that she wears all the time necessarily, but yeah. Anyway, at the very least, there's no question, but I, even though she's wearing those 16 year old bones, I think you've got the inverse question of like, you're sleeping with a mortal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris Hansen's like waiting in the wings. He's not sure if he's going to pop out yet. <laughs> yeah. This is some Lysander <laughs> bullshit again, all over again. All right. Okay. So, you know, we, we move on from there. We then get to a second interrogation of the cube and, and to kind of talk about it a little bit, as well as the fact that we're reminded or perhaps introduced, if you haven't read the back of the book, to what leechers are inside of this world, chromium burners, who can remove alimantic reserves from people as though they're burning aluminum at a distance. Wayne has a line here about the cube shooting bullets that is so stupid, it's funny and proper, and I had to add it, and it's just, it's so good. So... And if they could shoot the rusting thing, the bullet would be as small as a flea. Mercy sighed. Wayne, can't you let a joke die? Han, that joke was already dead, he said. I'm giving it a proper burial. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's so good. The proper burial line is just <laughs> perfect. Because we, as mentioned many a time, do the triple joke. <laughs> and it's like, we yeah. go one joke too far. And it's like, uh, you, you, you killed it. Yeah. Commitment. I mean, that works. I'm in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We talked about leechers off air, I think. We talked about them earlier this episode, but I think we talked about them off air when we were talking about the Ars Arcanum for Shadows of Self. I don't know if that ever made it to the podcast. I don't know either, but yeah. Anyway. Whatever. Yeah. But anyway, Wayne's commitment is unparalleled. I, truly unparalleled. And honestly... The best joke that he's told in this told this whole book so far is right there. It, 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 simultaneously, the best and the worst. Yeah, right. It's, it's so bad that it's good. It is truly paradoxical. <laughs> Wonderful. So we move from that scene into Wax approaching a nervously needleworking Steris, and she tries and he tries to soothe her nerves, but giving a little bit up about himself. He's always felt lost in those social situations that she does so well in and that it's okay for her to feel lost in these moments, too, of action and everything else. She leans over in this kind of heartfelt moment in which they talk about this exciting thing and she kind of dozes off and falls asleep tucked into his shoulder. And it's kind of adorable. It is adorable. If you can't tell yet, I'm really liking Steris and Wax's relationship this week. This passage is absolutely no exception to that rule. It's it's more full, more fleshed out, and better than it has been the entire fucking series. So, I'm happy with it. I mean, it's a focus point now, right? Like, the idea is that in the first book, it was kind of off-putting. In the second book, it was kind of coming to terms with reality. And now, it's making it work, you know? I, I'd like argue... Progress marks. I'd argue it's been one-dimensional up until this point, And now there's actually complexities and depths and the characters are wrestling with the sort of 
paradoxical nature of their situation in that it is strictly bound by contract and for political gain, but there's, there are feelings and there are like good things that are coming of it. And they seem to benefit from each other and actually need each other more and more often as the story's I, going on. So the first book, I mean, yeah, it's, it's meant to be, it's not even, it's a non-factor almost. It's a necessity, right? In the second book, I think it does start to level up a little bit in the consideration and the way that she genuinely gives nods and it starts to build Steris out as more of a character. And so that starts to unpeel here. But yeah, you're right. I guess in, in the focus, this is where it really comes into center frame, right? It was very peripheral mm-hmm. before, but now it is at the core of it, it's a crux of these characters i can also you know this gets back to something that we've been talking about quite a bit and i don't i don't think it's fair to judge these books based on this notion but having to write the third book before writing the second book if you already wrote like an emotional arc for them coming together it makes it very difficult for you to go back and like fill that out appropriately you know what i mean like it, it just makes it Hard to yeah. get it more than, you know, passing worth. And I think he does a good job by instead choosing to explore, you know, Lessie basically throughout that book, which makes sense. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. With that, let's get on with chapter 10. Wax wakes up with a start thinking he's hearing explosions when in fact it's the sound of waterfalls. I love the description here that it seems almost a little man made in the subsequent line from the conductor. I often think that Harmony was showing off a little when he made this place. They pull into the terraced and tiered city of New Saren, and honestly, it seems pretty cool. Their hotel is up in the top tier, which is a long way away from where they are down in one of the bottom tiers on this car that basically just got them there. And so he and Marisi take a quick flight through the air in which we get to explore the city along with them. This is a part that I personally struggled with, and it's simply because I am not good at imagining things, especially at large scales like this. This sounds really cool. I just can't see it. I just what, can't the, conjure the picture it. Of the waterfalls or the city? The, uh, all of it. The, the entire sort of cityscape that's opening up in front of them. The layout of the city as it's just like it, it just isn't as sort of majestic as it's being described to be. I don't know if the city is necessarily majestic. The, the entire the view. Are. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole thing is described as what, what was the term? What was the quote? Harmony was showing off a little when he made this place. Like that just, I, I just, I wish I could imagine it better. I wish I could sure. conjure it because it's, it seems like a really cool experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there there definitely is something to be said about the, you know, taking it all in and kind of considering the the way that it is. I'll tell you what, I just did a quick Google just because I was curious. It is fascinating what the pictures are for people's imaginations of New Saren as drawn. Uh, I'll throw it in there in our little chat here. Um, because this is not even how I pictured it. I did imagine the canyons, you know, that are carved through by the river and whatnot, but this is even further. And the tiering is such that it is much more dramatic than I imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really cool, though. Yeah, looks neat. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I imagine something more, PJ, just to give you perspective in the way that my brain went with it, I imagine something more like Niagara Falls, and then they were kind of coming up over and into the city, and then the city was built into the cliff face in tiers. I didn't imagine also waterfalls with the tiers, necessarily. Gotcha. I thought the water was just underneath, and then they were kind of coming up from the riverbed, but... Okay. So, Hmm. yeah, okay. Anyway, it's neat. And then obviously all of those feed the river, which is fascinating oh you know to the point of me just being completely incorrect pj in the beginning of this book there's a map the map is of new Saren, and it does kind of paint a cleaner picture of the idea of this tiered with waterfalls going in between it needless mm-hmm. to say it it's a cool image in the front of the book to kind of give you the idea of you know what it looks yeah. like so yeah you should check that out if you haven't yes dear yes reader you also have it in the audiobook if if you were unaware. So unless maybe audiobooks.com doesn't have the PDFs available for you to access, but Nope. Okay. Well Or I should. haven't explored them. They might. I don't know. Likely true. I can't believe you haven't just switched over to my Audible account. Like we're we're double we're double dipping. Yeah. Okay. You say that every time. <laughs> I know. <Okay. laughs> Love you. Okay. After they land, they note that Wax sticks out among the crowd. Marisy wants to invite Wayne on a grave robbing adventure, but Wax is immediately distracted from the prospect of finding the spike, as well as the reasons that they're out there to begin with, and starts to take off towards the mansion that he believes Suit to be in because of a symbol left in the newspaper. It seems to be calling to him like a calling card of a previous person that he defeated that Suit would be very aware of. I believe... There's a there's a fuller name for this man, but he's colloquially referred to as the ape or something like that. Very close to that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's kind of alluded to that he was like tortured by this guy and like held captive or something. It The the conversation gets cut off, but. Like, yeah, so there, there's a lot that's going on inside of this moment, which includes there's no way that the ape would work with Suit, and there's no way that he would, because Marisy kind of interrogates and asks him, he's like, well, why? And it's like, no, this has to be a sign, basically not that the ape is here, but that Suit is here, because he knew that I would see this, is is the read that I get from it, at the very least. Like, this is not right. a go stop a random dude, this is a, he's calling to me. Yeah, I'm just saying that there's sort of a partial conversation that happens talking about what happened between him and the ape oh yes yes, yes and yes, it, it, yeah. it seems sort of captured held and tortured kind of vibe mm-hmm. but yeah cuts off before there's any specific details let right marisy stops him right and then decides to bring up the rest of the crew to convene before they make any kind of brasher decisions to rough brush off like you're saying right you and i yesterday with with our mixology tier at our community night in which we watched the graveyard rats from Guillermo del Toro's cabinet of curiosities, right? Cabinet mm-hmm. or cupboard? Cabinet. The cabinet. Yep. So I am all in on a grave robbing adventure right now. So that was exciting for me. I hadn't even thought about that connection until I reread it today when I was going through right. the notes. And same, the same. Draft. And then I was like, oh, shit, we did literally just watch a thing about grave robbing. This is very timely. And how mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording this on Halloween, by the way, folks, if you didn't know, we're lame. <laughs> it's a Monday. Happy Halloween. So, so happy Halloween or belated Halloween, as it were. 
but uh, yeah, it's not Halloween for you anymore. It's fucking November or some shit. Not quite. I have another hour. How dare you? Uh, I mean, whoever's listening right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, again, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I did. Someone sent me a message somewhere that said, "Ah, <laughs> hating your listeners. The key to making more listeners." They were definitely <laughs> kidding, <laughs> but they they understood that it was a joke. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> please understand it's a joke yeah so absolutely i'm just so in like i don't know why that that short totally did get me amped up for grave robbing being like a really exciting prospect and inside of the story i think it's wonderfully executed as far as we see it go this week Mm -hmm. so they check into their hotel and wax immediately busts a window like practically immediately he like gets into the room he's pointed out they'd say that it's been painted over and closed because it was expensive and it was rattling and it was loud and blah 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 wayne starts eating the peanuts immediately stairs is giving a list of potential events including explosions and all kinds of other possible mutilations like a cattle stampede and then milan asks what she should put on and she absolutely means a skin suit and not necessarily how to dress as she is like considering different breast and bust sizes to wear Um, yeah she's just talking about tits yeah yeah and and to be honest from an outsider like auntie whatever her name is auntie auntie this is an absolutely crazy chaotic moment (laughs) yeah because it is it's absolute insanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah this is a fire sale of crazy people Milan's conversation is just so brash but funny talking about the utility of being able to swap out different breasts for running versus seduction versus whatever she's doing and it shakes things up obviously I thought it was ironic maybe not ironic but maybe missing the point a little bit for wax or for wayne to say wax never learned how to blend in with a crowd when he's wearing his miss cloak very obviously trying to stand out in the crowd yeah um <laughs> yeah i think that was a little bit previously to to the previous section oh, but i mean regardless it? i mean that fits it's within this chapter still but yeah it totally it's it's the same kind of thing they are very much like the odd people out in a big way um, yeah, th- that would be around the same time as the like sharks, sharks in the water, sharks and or the predators and mammal, whatever, whatever the conversation about how people avoid lamen, like fish avoid sharks. Just, I don't know, commentary that was a great on analogy. I totally didn't bring that up, but that was one of my favorites or the the as simple as the metaphor is a bullet hole in a stained glass window, you know? Yeah there was that was around the same section that i found that to be very well executed i will say i think that a number of brandon's short metaphors here that he uses kind of in world feel the best that they have in this book like this feels like some of the best writing in the series in moments and then at times the characters feel like the worst versions of themselves specifically wayne i'm just mostly bummed about the way that wayne's been treated in this book so far but it's good that he got put on yeah. his ass. Sorry to completely shift gears here. Yeah. And before I lose it, I was just staring at the cover of the book. Yep. And looking at the name, The Bands of Mourning, and thinking about how there was the sort of idea that just being in the presence of the Bands of Mourning could affect you power-wise. And now we're dealing with that with this cube. Sorry, had to make that make that connection before I lost it altogether. Sure. So 
did you want to explore that more or did you just want to make sure that you stated it out loud? Just wanted to state it out loud. So I cemented my like memory of it, which isn't necessarily always going to happen, but it's a better chance of happening if I actually say it and keep that in mind while I read the next section. But I think there's some mechanic that's similar between the two. That is an interesting point, and it does bring up something that maybe we'll explore in the near future. The drink I added a couple of ice cubes to just to, you know, chill it out, water it down a little bit. And it looks like yellow Gatorade now or like lemonade. Yellow Gatorade? I mean, green, yellow, whatever the yellow. Oh, the yellow one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks like yellow Gatorade. I'm not crazy. Maybe it's your camera. That looks way more dull. Yellow Gatorade to me looks so... It's vibrantly kind of yellow oh sure sure it's not it's not quite that but it's it's pretty lemony mm. in appearance but i blame the pineapple mostly okay all right okay moving on the chapter ends with them going in their disparate directions for a nap one side of the party to the party later this evening and another for a spot spot of grave robbing so that's where we end yeah yeah there's the great line from milan I'm just around for the punchy, punchy, stabby, stabby as a, and the, as opposed to kind the of shooty, go shooty, a little wacky, wacky, or that's the one yeah. is they just kind of devolve into some delirious, like pre nap conversations because how do you, how else do you get out the silliness, but by wacky conversation? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very funny. It's not even Marisy that says that, or is no, it? That's wax you and know. Wayne. Yeah. It's wax. And it's Wayne we- that say that. Yeah. It starts with Milan, but yeah, Milan doesn't exactly pin it on that, but she, but wax is the one that breaks down to that first, which I think is the funniest bit because it is literally a verbal tick for how tired he is, how exhausted no, it, he it, is. It is Milan first. She says, I'm just here for the punchy, punchy, stabby, stabby. Oh yeah, she does. Fuck. You're right. My bad. Yeah. Damn. All right. I want to give wax credit there. <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. Cool. With that, we go into chapter 11. Wax and Steris pull up to the mansion and have a little discussion about the party they're about to crash. I do love that Steris is trying her best and in the and in all of the ways that she knows how to guide Wax through this party with her little notebook of flowcharts and conversations. I'm, I'm summarizing a lot here, but we do experience a ton of, not a ton, but a lot of exchanges about the relationship inside of the cart and sort of more of that relationship mm-hmm. growth that we've been hard kind of... I don't harping on is the wrong thing, but that we've kind of been banging the drum for over the course yeah. of this week. Yeah. And this is again, no exception. This just continues. It, it makes me feel warm and happy. And do you know what that makes me think? What? Stairs going to die soon. Oh, no, no, stairs now that, not now that I'm starting to starting to like her, starting to Can like I- the relationship that's got to get ripped out from under me sometime. That's my, leading theory at the moment okay all right that's sad i understand that i do i do i mean you i love the idea of this flow chart through conversation i feel like as a kid i actually thought this way a lot because i thought that i was very awkward um and i was very awkward that's not actually something that we should directly address i was very awkward and then eventually suddenly in 10th grade was like i will no longer be awkward and i will refuse to be and so i stopped it didn't necessarily change, but at least I talked to people more. <laughs> so it was different. Anyway, I appreciate that, you know, from from almost like a juvenile perspective of of understanding, you know, 
that sort of difficulty. That said, I do want to be a massive advocate for flowcharts. I love flowcharts. I love them in everything I do. I actually very recently, uh, at the recommendation of a small D&D podcast that I listened to, drew up a flowchart for my action economy, for my monk, for our campaign, so that I always know all of my options at any time. That's awesome. It's amazing. I love it. It's like four pages of like, if this, then that, if this, then that, if this, then that, and then like cascading off of those. Like, if you do this, then these are your options for your bonus action. Then these are your options for your free action. Then here's what you should do with your movement. And here's your totals. Update your totals at this level mark. And I I did it for everything through like level 14. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I'm crazy. But I should do something similar to that. I can only imagine how hard, how much harder it would be for a full on spellcaster. It's still very possible because it's just action. What's the spell do? What's the spell cast it at this level? What's it do at additional levels? Add whatever the D D damage is and et cetera. But Mm -hmm. anyway, right. Right. Oh, right. Oh, but I love a good flow chart. On their way to the door, though, they run into a beggar. And, well, it's better that I just read the quote. Oh, my lord, I know it. I, too, I own the place, technically. Now, regarding those coins for old Hoyd, my good lord. Wax, of course, hands him some coins. The beggar about to go get a drink for himself. But, curiously, the beggar Hoyd throws his change precisely at Wax. And I love that he even calls it change because he's like, you've been too generous. And throws it back before he cackles and runs into the shrubs. <laughs> yeah, so so he gives him a five dollar bill or something. Like he gives him a note. It's a, and then he gives him change back. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And then gets chased off by the guard. But there's no comment around the fact that Wax has met, interacted with, and employed Hoyd before. So is this a new face? That's a pretty uncommon name that just kind of get got like unaddressed, like not acknowledged. Like, are we supposed to think that Wayne has that much disregard for his employed peoples? He seems to care about them and has interacted with Hoyd. And in his Only- perspective, said Hoyd, the new coachman. Did he last a know. long time? I do. I do want to mention here that at the very least. What what was the guy's name? The the other new steward, basically, who was helping out in there was a good joke that happened, I wanna say, in Iron Stand about the new person who was helping out instead of the, the employee. It started with a D. His name was like Dryer Durwer Dr- Iron Stand? It well, it's not just an Iron Stand. He's kind of a recurring character throughout this, and he kind of comes up as a bit, basically, where it's like, well, you do know what happened to the last guy who had your job, right? Like he, well, he I don't, exploded. I don't. I don't um, I'm oh my God. missing things. What is Iron Stand? Iron Stand is the city that they stopped in on the way to New. That's where they switched. Oh, trains. I thought you meant in another story. No, no, no. In this story. Okay. In this story, in this week's reading, even. His name was like, was it Dryle? No, that's not right. I don't remember. But yeah, there was a comment about the coachman. Uh, yeah, so there. that whole guy has this whole bit about like, well, you don't know what happens to so like people who are employed under wax. Like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't tell him. Like, there's a good joke between like Marisi and Steris and Wayne in a moment that kind of surrounds him. And then later he's being like, the the constable 
is taking care of him and mm-hmm. like he, he requires like four people to help him or something like that which is just absurd anyway very funny that said like he's a, he's a dude do you think that wax pays attention to every person all the time and maybe he wasn't in his employee for long you know maybe not i don't Could know Hoyt the name Hoyt is name than you think i don't think so <laughs> you don't. i really don't really <laughs> what's the I name randall flag mean to you randall's the shady shapeshiftery character in monsters inc he is indeed good call good call mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on like Hoyt and this whole situation here? Well, there's the coin that he gets, which is obviously important. We'll get into that later. Specifically, it is not one of the misprints from before, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it's a completely okay. different coin. Yeah, because you think Wax would have recognized it as one of the misprint coins almost immediately, right? Yeah, and it it doesn't even look like money. It looks like a no. challenge coin or something. Right, because the, um, the guard actually throws it, or not the guard, the bartender later throws it back. Right, so I don't know. I'm expecting it to be a piece of metal that's not one of the metals known. Like, it's it's an example of that. I've got ideas about Hoyd. I think he's Trell, and I think he's, I don't know, I guess this comes up later, but I think he's scoping out wax and, like, trying to learn learn things about the mechanics of the world. Like, I think we'll get in we'll get into it we'll get into it later okay i'm typing it here at the very least because i'm going to keep this as a prediction we can rectify this later i think Um, it is it is a prediction i'm pretty sure it was too but i just wanted to make sure that i had at the very least not one of the metals known for the coin which is inside of this section not really the other one right cool After being forced to check his weapons at a hat check, we cut over to Wayne and Marcy and a bank. Wayne builds up a whole lot of this plan in his head, and I think it's really wonderful the way that he's like going through all these different steps. And Marcy just reveals them straight off and that they're there to investigate, and Wayne's reaction is literally priceless. It is so <laughs> funny. This is one of the, again, I've la- I laughed out loud twice this week. You mentioned the first one, which was the moment in which the shotgun blasted stares off this is the other one where he is just so flabbergasted by just being like yeah and he goes that's cheating you know as stupid <laughs> as that is you know it's so good because wayne has these truly chaotic plans quixotic plans that's such a that stupid fucking word stupid dumb, <laughs> stupid dumb word i hate it it should be chaotic but quixotic plans and you know it's it's just so it's so great to see one of those just be absolutely foiled by a badge and some leather you know yeah of course while they're inside of that room a telegram arrives and that telegram is also very funny saying to watch wayne very closely after evaluating the ledgers from the bank they determine who to hire to help them rob graves and leave trading a rat tail for a shot this is just a very great scene front to back i i yeah what do, what do you think the rat tail was hilarious Two hands long, longest rat tail he's ever seen. Almost criminal to throw it away. Like, I don't know. It's a payoff from an earlier bit, right? Where he's like, I I gave him a rat for this, but without the tail, right? Maris, he says, and then the tail shows up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a fair trade, for sure. Mm, Absolutely. I, they're, they're becoming a fun dynamic duo as well the two of them and like obviously foils of one another to a certain degree, but Marisi's got some comedy packed away as well. So it's cool. 
yeah, she's everyone is kind of this book is very much like a coming into their own for the most part, except for Wayne, of whom really hasn't had that same kind of growth arc necessarily yet. That said, he's he's been humbled a couple of times and stuff like that has happened. And obviously there was a ton of exposition in the last book that gave us a ton of weight to that character. Yeah. But we've come to understand his character, but his character yes. hasn't evolved a lot. Right, right. And this is one of those great moments where it seems like they're becoming buddy buddy, right? This is where this is where I push back against the idea about it being a romantic interest necessarily and more one of like casual disappointment that she wasn't informed of like right. well we have a we have an existing friendship like why wouldn't you talk to me about that so the disappointment is different but palpable right yeah that makes sense cool all right we go into our final chapter of the week pj i'm not gonna lie it is crazy to me that we are at two and a half hours right now in our recording yeah. and that's without yeah. the breaking devil or that's with the breaking devil's cut it's wild we haven't recorded mm-hmm. an episode this quickly in months half a year Maybe. I don't know that we've had this sort of a recording in a long fucking time. Maybe it's the drinking. Could perhaps be. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought (laughs) intoxicating ourselves makes us go off track and take wildly more time? Yeah. Fair enough. All right. With that, we go into chapter 12. We move into this next chapter, starting off in the room. Stara sends wax off for drinks and... In the room, I I really kind of mean to say in the room where it happens, this party room that we find ourselves in this mansion, and he gets wine for Saris and a G&T for himself, and he's kind of, he the bartender is taken aback that he's asked for only a G&T. A G&T is a fine drink, Brandon. It is a, it is a refined cocktail. It is a perfected cocktail. It is simple, sure, but I don't think, I've never met a bartender that's been disappointed for making a G&T. Unless you're talking like rail G and T, do you think that wax is ordered rail, rail gin G&T? and Sprite because they don't have tonic water uh, for some reason? But this is a fancy upscale. Place, no, I know, you know, I know, like, I know. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I don't know. I was just, I'm just saying this. This feels like a small like nudge where I'm like, there's nothing wrong with the G and T. But then he pushes back in his own head and he's like, well, I could have just ordered whiskey if you wanted me to be the ruffian that you think I am. Anyway, of course, you still tip the man despite him insulting you. And after a philosophical observation and the bartender gives him the coin back, thinking it a memento instead of the tip that he meant to give him. It matches the pictures that Relure had taken before, some of the symbols on it, and it is very clearly the medal that Hoyd gave him earlier. What do you think about the coin? What connection do you think it has or why give it to Wax to begin with? Why would Hoyd choose to interfere here? So, like I mentioned, not quite, actually. Lady Demu is where it gets into the conspiracy quarter. Mm, Okay. But starting here, we get the idea that it's a different metal, like I mentioned. The idea that it's almost like a secret handshake or secret badge to get in somewhere like i don't know proof of belonging key whatever you want to call it i like i said i think hoyt is trell and i think that much in the same way that harmony has been using wax throughout all of his life hoyt hopes to do something similar and this giving of this coin is like a first step in good faith rapport building for him like trying to get a foot in the door sort of deal Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just kind of as a means of gaining trust and building a relationship. 
because apparently being his coachman didn't go well. <laughs> I mean, do you being slightly Cosmere aware, what do you feel like Hoyd lands? I mean, between the stories, right? Like if you think about where you are between Elantris and here right now being the two stories and <clears throat> my voice is just all of a sudden giving out. I'm going to take a sip of tea. Where, where do you land with Hoyd thinking about him in the spectrum of the universe? I think he embodies a similar power as I'm not sure harmony, okay, but one of ruin or preservation. Like if he, if he holds half of a power structure, sure. I could see that being a thing, but really I don't have much to go on with that. I know he's able to travel through the, through the pools, but presumably that's the well of ascension, but I guess we don't technically confirmation of that. The one that he goes into at the epilogue or like after the epilogue of Elantris seems to be described the same way that the well of ascension was, but. We don't technically know where he pops out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That all makes sense to me. So after a brief conversation and some not deserved deprecation on Starris's part, the pair make their way over to Lord Gavay in Trone, and they share a little conversation intended to be practiced for doing this again. And boy, is Wax really rusty in his moments. And it doesn't go well at all for him as the pleasantries begin to give way to insults from lord in throne what would you think of this whole thing i felt there there was something really weird the entire time because even before the pleasantries gave way to like direct insults they were met with smiles and smirks and giggles from the other people that wax didn't seem to have a grasp on why like it it seemed like he was missing something like they were making fun of him slyly the entire time so i i don't know what to make of that maybe it's just them looking down upon him being a man of the roughs in the past a a lawman but not actually a constable not like he didn't he didn't have a formal badge or nothing yeah, yeah yeah like there's they're looking down their noses at him in such a way but either way wax is irritable and makes a show of himself Mm -hmm. he most definitely does and he very he gets so close like in any other circumstance if he actually had the guns and he didn't have to check them at the door which i don't know i feel like i must have deleted my statement or accidentally skipped the thing about checking the guns because i loved it's there it's there but it's like half of a sentence (laughs) Oh, man, I love the fact that they I mean, it's not that big of a deal, right? Which is why it is half of a sentence. But I do love that he has to check his guns and everyone else is checking hats and coats. And he's got th- mm-hmm. two firearms to give up, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is very, <laughs> very substantially different. So obviously this goes very poorly, as you had mentioned. And I the the sort of snickering that's going on in the background and just the idea of the sort of natural resentment that's towards this man of the roughs of whom is now in charge of the house feels like it's something that waxes because of maybe the sort of yellow journalism of the era going to be, have a very difficult time overcoming, you know? Yeah. Uh, He's painted in a crazy light despite being net beneficial as anyone with any kind of real education knows like Marisi. Yeah. And this is the first interaction that we've had in story with the broadsheets 
and specifically dealing yeah. with the stories that are told about wax that we've read yeah um, right right yeah so so this is where that kind of comes into conflict and it shows that difference between like real knowledge and like depth of knowledge with sources and truth versus like the clickbaity headline that you clicked and read and ingested as your source of illusory truth and information. So with that, Wax obviously fails out of that entire conversation pretty quickly, but then approaches the next one, given the guidance of Steris and a seltzer instead of a full drink or ordering a seltzer instead of another drink so that he can keep his focus with Lady Demu and goes to the dance floor with her. He then dances around a little bit, of course, taking that dance card and then is intercepted by a second mysterious woman who gives us some statistics on the world at large and answers a couple of questions you asked last week about the overall numbers here. And she also makes, and overall numbers meaning like population numbers, and she also makes our very first non-Ars Arcanum reference to the name of the region as Scadriel. I combed through every other book to make sure that this was true. This is the first reference, that's of the Ars Arcanum or Arcanum Unbounded, that Scadriel is referenced. So, with that in mind, what implications do you think their conversation has? Do you have any thoughts on who she is or why she's doing what she's doing? And what do you think uh, of the conversation at large? Like, there's also that side of this, right? Like, there's predictions, which are fun, but also let's not mix, miss the context of the, the thing. Yeah. Welcome to PJ's Conspiracy Corner, where he <laughs> asserts that this is Hoyd. Hoyd is a shapeshifter, which explains why he presented himself in a way that Wax wouldn't have recognized before outside of the building, and why nobody recognized her and her description going into the party mm. later on when, when confronted other option is maybe a Chandra, but I like to, I like to believe that this is Hoyd and Hoyd is we, we know for a fact that there are pieces of knowledge and mechanics and things that harmony is unable to know and doesn't know and is actively seeking information on. So it's perfectly plausible that Hoyd doesn't understand the mechanics of these metallic arts and is kind of using this as a reconnaissance and research session to really gain a depth of information on the more intricate interactions of, of these different metals. So, yeah, beyond but she, that. She also, I, I want to add this to your context, right? She also knows specifically before he talks that he is a crasher, a coin shot, and a skimmer, right? Like she knows right. that combination, knows the name, knows all of it. Um, and knows that he's one of three so far historically that are yes. that specific combination, which is mm-hmm. a greater depth of understanding, which still could point to Chandra. Given yeah, I'm, that I'm, not, I'm not pointing away. Yeah. I was just adding that context of like, she knows way more than like she is gaining knowledge for sure from this, but she already has a base of knowledge as well. Yeah. But she's also seeking like why a, why redshift doesn't occur in a speed bubble. There's just, which is interesting because we've actually talked about surface redshift before, right? Like the light redshift, which is what redshift actually is. So it's actually super hard to talk about speed bubble since she's saying, why doesn't redshift occur? Because that's how you explain the action refraction between the surfaces. So, right. But you can still see people. Yeah, it's this whole thing. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> this could become a very complex conversation about Redshift pretty quickly as it relates to the speed bubble and the visuals inside or outside of said bubble. I guess to be a blue speed bubble. Which one's speed bubble? Because I thought Marises was referred to as a speed bubble. So they're both referred to as a speed bubble, but because they affect the speed of things, right, in some way, shape, or form. The one that goes faster is Wayne's, or rather, excuse me, time around the bubble goes slower. Time inside the bubble remains relatively the same. Marises inside the bubble. To the perspective outside of the bubble slows the time. Inside of the bubble is normal time. So right. the movements feel delayed despite them happening. So she is actually very technically on the inside of the bubble moving very quickly, right? Or very yeah. slowly. Uh, very slowly. slowly. Very slowly. No, but she's moving at regular speed. No, oh, no, she is moving very slowly. It just takes 15 minutes to pass on the outside. Yeah. Yep. Slowly. Yep. 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 Yeah. There's your complexity for the week. Um, mm-hmm. But they're both speed bubbles, technically. They're both called speed bubbles. That could have been referred to tightened up a little loosely. bit. Well, in this book so far, <laughs> they've loosely been referred to as speed bubbles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Slow bubble, speed bubble would have been the way to do it for sure. But just to keep it, keep it clear. So we move back to Wax and Steris after a brief check-in wink with Milan, and she has gotten him a drink. And it's either a lemonade or a soda. I know that they call it soda water, but still, it, it could be like a 7-Up or Sprite equivalent or like something else in that spectrum of drinks. I just found mm. it very, this moment is very humorous to me and like trying to make it make sense is fun because it's like there's just so much sugar in it that he's overwhelmed and he's like it's poison because of how sweet it is. Which makes sense considering his taste in drinks between the gin and tonic that he's had and the whiskey that he chooses to drink normally. Yeah. Anyway, he heads over to a conversation with Devlin Ayers, and that's where it cuts away from him for the week. So, I, I guess, what are your thoughts on the drink? So, a couple thoughts. One, Steris similarly makes a face about how sweet it is, but then when he looks over his shoulder again, it's half gone, and she's like pretending to be innocent about the the entire (laughs) situation so that's kind of funny but i got the impression that this was like a non-american lemonade which is carbonated typically outside of the u.s yes so and that it's probably not universal like most things but i know like european lemonade like if you order a lemonade they'll give you something carbonated so there's that. That's what I got off of it, but I could easily see it being something like Sprite as well. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, I think the sugar pointed me in the direction of something very sweet, right? And so, yeah. like, that's where I went with like a soda. It very, didn't seem yeah, like clearly a soda of some sort. Soda water, so it was sparkly. So, yeah, it could mm-hmm. it could totally be a European lemonade. That's a great point. Yeah, or maybe cool. Australia. I, I can't remember. We a we served a. Lemonade. So we made our own sodas when I, yep. at one of the breweries I used to work for, and uh, we did a lemonade, and it was carbonated because all of our sodas were carbonated. And we got comments all the time about how people that had traveled the world really liked our lemonade because it reminded them of foreign lemonades. Hmm. Okay. But that's the extent yeah, of my know. understanding of the topic. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, hey, that makes sense. It would be interesting to at the very least look that up and figure out a little bit more about it. So maybe next week we'll come at you with some lemonade knowledge coming at you lime yeah, lemon <laughs> <laughs> that, 
<laughs> None of this was liming. <laughs> Moving on. So breaking this up into the other section, of course, that we end this week with, we go to Marisi and Wayne. We get a quick beat about the survivor and how the religion persists in part around this idea that the survivor himself broke the rules and always had, and that the doctrine explains that he was not dead, but surviving. Anyway, we come back to exploring this grave and looking at Duchamp, or Deschamps, as he's later referred to in many different ways. Wayne throws the hat on like a vagrant and works his magic on Marisi's clothing, dirtying her up a bit so that she didn't look so formal in the moment. At the end of all that, she noticed that she wasn't blushing. So... First of all, what? No blushing? What? How could it be? But there's a few different times throughout this section where a character's emotions are explicitly pointed out as abnormal. There's one with wax earlier on, and I can't remember exactly where it was, but it pointed me in the idea that he was being rioted and like actively having to calm himself down. And this feels almost like it could be pointed to that there's like a soother in the area stunting those emotions. But maybe that's taking all agency out of a character's emotions. And I'm like trivializing it a little bit too much or just being paranoid about things. But I think you have every rationale to be paranoid inside of this. So I I don't want to completely dissuade that necessarily. Comparatively, do you feel like from a character argument you could make a stance because of the way that Wax explained it that like he was genuinely angry in those moments. He could have been righted. He could have been encouraged to be a little bit more angry. I don't think that she's being sued. I think she's actually genuinely okay with this. As she started to, Marisi, as she started to change and be less afraid of who she is and who she presents herself as and as she is more comfortable getting into different roles and stretching outside of it, it's this change from she was a student of law to now she's practicing law and needs to understand things that go into different moments. And so in some ways, I think that this is training. And so she's also as a part of that. I don't know whether or not this is a good thing necessarily. She consistently works with men and at the very least a man of whom looks a little bit demeaningly at women consistently I mean, he he never he never demeans the women intentionally, but he is a little bit gay. And that has previously been the source of a lot of her blushing. And so in this moment, she no longer she started to no longer find it risque. And I think that's the source of growth for me for her is that she's okay with who she is, regardless of what she's wearing, you know, because it's she is still her and she's playing a part. Sure. In the moment. But I think that it's. I think it's a good thing. Next. So the the one sort of pushback I have on that, and maybe it's just a style choice that I disagree with or find odd to know that she would th- that she thinks she should be blushing here and like actively deciding or like not deciding, but noticing that she's not and that being a weird thing is different than looking back upon something and saying, hey, in the past, maybe I would have been blushing at this, you know, like uh, those are two maybe subtly different, but different scenarios in my head. One requires a lot more internal monologue. That's true. No, I and I'm not saying that is like a, a negative thing. I'm saying that that is not something that in this book series that Brandon has given a whole lot of time is internal monologue in different moments from third person. So mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. I think that that would be truly 
to add clarity at this moment. That would be generally the delineation I'm looking for. But given the rules and the spectrum of things that we get, this is the best interpretation of how I see it. The fact is, is that we have to take a second to kind of interpret that as opposed to it being clearer. So that's fair. I think that's kind of my takeaway is like, yeah, I definitely agree with you. You could write this. You could you could change this to make it a little bit more clear in the moment. But I think to keep that in line with everything else, you would then have to change everything else because of the tone throughout and the way that it's mm-hmm. structured and written. So it makes sense. Unfortunately, you kind of set yourself up into a trap when you start with the tone and then have to keep it the whole time. Maintain some semblance of cohesency between everything. Oh, darn. Oh, darn. Okay. <laughs> so we end this week. Did, did you have any thoughts on like the makeup of the dress and like the whole scene where like Wayne cuts everything up? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a quick, but you're right, a little bit of sort of gross <laughs> over sexualization of the situation on his part Funnily enough i didn't actually find this moment gross for him in over sexualization because i don't feel like he was doing it for a negative reason i think that in general wayne can be gross in other moments especially when he's like talk when he's like thinking about bus sizes and other but there is the final beat in this moment that i think is what you're pointing to in which he stares because he's getting into character that is I don't know if it's because he's getting into character, though. No, that's the thing. That's yeah, the right. that's the excuse that he gives. But right, right. That's right. a weak ass excuse. True, for sure. I think everything else that was okay until that moment. Right. That's fair. Yeah. And that's like a miss. That's like a. But and the drummer lost the stick when they went for the symbol. Like it just flew out of their hand. He is uh, consistently doing that, though. Like he true. did with Renette earlier. Like it was a, it was a very meaningful apology and conversation and it just kind of falls flat in the last moment and then makes a joke of it himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Know. So if he, he, he's nothing, if not consistent, consistently just a little bit of a disappointment, which is <laughs> the way my mother would describe me. All right. So <laughs> just kidding. They she's finally, right. Oh, well, I mean, at the very least, she can, you know, live knowing that she's not the only one that thinks that. Yep. <laughs> All right. So they finally meet up with this DeChamp fella, and he's easy enough to con to play on Wayne and Marcy's part. They they make it very easy work of him. And they, they do make this great dynamic duo tack tackling this man through the use of like the terrorist language and her inability to understand obviously she can and him understanding the regional dialect and blending into it with age they finally make it to the grave shortly thereafter freshly done and give it a turnover and that's where this week ends like this is a this comparatively is kind of an abrupt ending um, it is um it- Deschamp, however you want to pronounce it is a pretty interesting fellow, but I thought the more interesting part of this was using that as a vessel to get more specifics on Wayne's process mm-hmm. and how he changes his his dialect slightly as a means of becoming more authoritative and more of a of parental figure to this guy, probably. Just a, a very in-depth understanding of the history of dialects is always super fascinating to me 
So cool to see that come alive even more here through his conversation Randy with Mercy. Apprise himself as a little bit of a linguist, so that makes sense. I mean, throughout, like, and he definitely is playing with that through the idea of dialect and intonation and the way that Wayne really plays around with the idea of linguistic manipulation, which I think is really great here. Like you said, he's playing into that sort of, he's playing into the power of sounding a little bit older, like a parental figure. And so he's wielding that over top of him by just seeming just a smidge older when he changes the accent a little bit in the end. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that's, that's, we're done. That's the week. PJ, that's the week. Wow. We went into this thinking this would be one of the longest episodes. It ended up being not that. I mean, it is in one of the fastest episodes we've recorded in the last six months. It's not a guest episode, which is wild. So, yep. Good shit. All right. So with that next week, we're reading the bands of mourning chapters 13 through 20 again that's going to be 13 through 20 so one less chapter this week all told than previously but about the same page count as it goes between so we're going to bleed we're going to finish part two and go well into part three so that's where we'll leave you for this week thank you as always to tim and andrew for helping us keep our shows lights on you can find our links in the show notes where you can find our schedule, our Patreon, our previous episodes, our websites, and our social media accounts all in one very convenient spot. In case you are blissfully unaware of our social media accounts on all of their various platforms, we are Words Whiskey Pod on Elon Musk's Twitter for the time being. We are on Instagram and Reddit at Words Whiskey Pod as well, as well as Facebook. Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com, patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. T-shirts on Public. You can follow our link like PJ had mentioned. If you think that we should be on a different social media or interacting somewhere else, let us know. We would love to know what community circles and everything else you'd love to see more of us on and or green like to see us talk. So we're all yeah. over the internet. You just got to point us in the right direction. Especially with Twitter dying, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. It's been a very tenuous week for Twitter users so far. A couple of days, I should say. So we'll see where it goes. But Twitter's been yep. our home. And so, you know. I I genuinely don't think anything's really going to change with it. I, we, we don't It'll need to be, talk about that necessarily. <laughs> but what I will say, without talking about what may change or may not change, I think that a lot of people aren't respecting the platform the same already to begin with, which is leading to somewhat of an exodus. And there's at the very least, it is also pointing for me as the person who does our social media to be like, oh, shit, what if Twitter goes away? Where would we go to talk with our listeners? And so what I would like to know is where we can speak with you best. I've got a spot. It's a. Discord, which you can join by going to patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. Yes, also that. For sure that. <laughs> I mean, most definitely that. I just mean if you want to see stuff from us, where do we go? Where do we go? Mm-hmm. Do you want us on the ticky talkies? Because like I can do it, but I don't I don't wanna. You know, like that's I don't yeah. think anyone wants to see that. I think that's the other side of it for me. I don't think anyone wants to see the sad TikTok for me posting my books and being depressed. Just kidding. Anyway, we'll see you next week. 
All right, have fun. I'm going to go to sleep for a little while and then drive for a long time. <laughs> yes, sounds reasonable. All right, see you guys later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.